Good evening, everybody. I am really thrilled about tonight's guest. I'm, I'm actually thrilled every night about our guests, but in particular, this one has become a dear friend to me. And uh, he's, he's one of the most frenetic thinkers, but he's organized and he speaks seven languages. And he, he's going to deny that, but it's true. And they're not easy languages. We're talking Latin, Greek, Hebrew, uh, Arabic, uh, English, Spanish. I mean, come on, that's pretty epic. And, and, uh, but not just that, he's a pastor and he is a first generation uh, born in the United States. His parents immigrated from Egypt. And uh, tonight with us is the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Signal Hill, James Cadiz. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks, bro. God bless you. <laughs> and, and the reason, there's many reasons why I love this man, but one in particular is uh, we're cut from the same cloth. Uh, you, you are... You're, you're, you're amazing. And, and the work you've been doing in, in regards to what I've been participating in, I look over and I think, God, thank you for sending James. Wow, to God be the glory. And, and what you do is what I do in addition, but you do it with joy <laughs> and clarity. You have a law degree. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you're, you're, what's fascinating about that is you're autodidactic. Yeah, you went to Calvary Chapel Bible College, but the, you, know, you don't get a a legitimate degree from Calvary Chapel Bible College. No one recognizes it. And you went just to learn and you took 40 units and went through that like as yeah. quick as possible. But as far as getting an undergraduate and going to some, and then you just went on to get a law degree. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. And, and in the meantime, <laughs> let's learn languages. Uh, but, but the way you process things and lay them out, I want for tonight, for everyone tuning in, the two of us are part of the Calvary Chapel uh, group of churches. Yeah. And Calvary Chapel churches, uh, our eschatology, which means the study of the end times, is pre-trib, pre-millennial. Yeah. So we believe that we'll be raptured before the, the tribulation. That's right. Right? And, and I've often said, and you've heard if you've been on the live stream, that every eschatology, every, every position that a, a denomination holds or a church group holds on the end times, every eschatology comes with an asset and a liability. Our, our founders weren't pre-trib, pre-millennial. They believed they needed to usher in the second coming of the Lord by setting up his kingdom on the earth. And mm -hmm. so they set up Harvard, Yale, Princeton to educate ministers. They right. gave uh, the world the greatest form of government we've ever known, which is right. a constitutional republic. Right. Uh, they, they were students of the scriptures. Many of the signers of the Declaration of Independence had what would be today considered masters of divinity. Right. Um, and so you, you look at them and you think, well, were they wrong? And then the pre-trib, pre-millennial eschatology has kind of come into vogue in the late 1800s till about today. And mm -hmm. you could probably give greater insight into that. It's, sure. it's not my yep. greatest wheelhouse. Right. Um, I, I can teach it. I can go through Revelation. I can go through Ezekiel. I can go through Daniel. Right. But all of that, I want to look to tonight for the folks tuning in. <clears throat> How does eschatology affect our, our, our view of government? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And our role yep. in government. So we'll get there. And then the other thing I wanted to share with all of you, because this, this is going to be fascinating. And, and you've had a chance. You've had Charlie Kirk come out to your yeah. church and speak. He's a good brother. Good brother. And you and I, being part of the Calvary Chapel churches, mm -hmm. we've been beat up because there's been an accusation that Charlie's a dominionist. Yeah. And, and the two of us have been with him. I, I've traveled with him. I can right. tell you right now, he's not a dominionist. Yeah, I, don't, be, I don't know yeah. where they came up with that. Right. Oh, he was on Jack Hibbs's program. He talked about the seven mountains of cultural influence. I'm the one who told him about those things. And I was yeah. saying from a psychological perspective, right. only dealing, and I'll explain it later. And then just that one little thing, everyone dismisses him. Right. This guy's in the word every day. He is, he is a stalwart for, for, for the faith. Right. 
And yet he's right. engaged in the political arena. And that, I think that's the biggest hangup that pastors have right. is he's political. Because you and I are in a system of churches. And this is where I'm going to set up. And then the minute I stop talking, watch this guy. <laughs> He'll go everywhere. <laughs> I want to set this up for you. Okay. Pre-trib, pre-millennial. Yep. Calvary Chapel pastors. Yep. I, 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 I was under the training of Don McClure, who heads up the CCA. Yep. Don was under Chuck. Yep. Um, I, I love the systematic teaching that I've received. I, I've, I've learned all 66 books of the Bible because of what Chuck did and what Don did. I edited all of Don's sermons to put them on the radio. That's where I got my seminary education. I went to seminary, but that's really where I learned the word of God. Sure. And then I saw their lives and they were, they were uh, unbelievable. They were great examples. Yep. And that being said, before I was a Christian, my family was political. My dad ran for city council twice. My mother was the president of the Republican women. I remember walking precincts as a child. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've, met, I, I've met four presidents. No, five presidents. Wow. I met Ronald Reagan when I was a, a little kid. He was promoting a book called The Quotable Ronald Reagan. My mom said, someday he's going to be president, son. And you know, I didn't know what that meant. He rubbed my head and he signed autographs at best wishes, Robert McCoy, Ronald Reagan. What he didn't realize back then was that he was endorsing me today. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And, and I gave that to my son at 13 years of age on the walkabout one. You go from a boy to a man. I said, this is for you. And, and it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to divert before I get to what I was going to say. I'm like Sean Hannity. I'm the guest on my own show. I, <laughs> I love it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But you, you, you brought that out in me, and I'm stoked on it. So uh, on my son's birthday, I was running for the state assembly. We had 200-plus people, and we were coming up to the election time. He was born in October. The election was early November. We go into the campaign headquarters, and I walk in as the candidate, and they've all been working tirelessly, walking precincts, making phone calls. This, this is a big move. I walk in, they all start cheering for me. And I say, hey, today's my son Michael's birthday. They cheer for Michael. And I said, and for Michael's birthday, I gave him this autograph that I received from Ronald Reagan, and I put it on the table. Everyone put the phones down. Everyone stopped doing their walk pads, and the room got quiet, and Everyone just came to there. Now, they have a living candidate that they're working for that all of a sudden becomes invisible. They have a young man whose birthday's today who becomes invisible. And a signature of a man who's dead captivates the room. Wow. And I turned to my son in the midst of that, and it was a real quiet moment. I said, son, a dead man's signature has more power than the two of us standing here as a living candidate and a birthday boy. And I said, son, a good name is like a precious fragrance, but better is the day of a man's death than the Amen. day of his birth. Amen. And that name is a precious fragrance to everyone in this room, and they were drawn, like Solomon said, using, using the rhetorical synesia, where you combine two senses of the human body, hearing the name and right. sense, smell, right. fragrance. And they're drawn to this name. Right. And I said, son, live in such a way that when you die, your name is a precious fragrance. That's absolutely right. I give you a name, but the character's up to you. It couldn't have been a, big, a bigger gift for my boy on his birthday when he became a man. Now, that's a side note. This is the kicker. Calvary Chapel Pastors. Yep. Started in 1968 with Chuck Smith. Mm-hmm. Now in 68, Bobby Kennedy Jr. was shot. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was shot on the balcony of a hotel in Memphis, Tennessee. Yep. 63, John F. Kennedy had been shot. 1968, 
we had the Tet Offensive and the My Lai Massacre in Vietnam. Yeah. Our, our, our young people were going over to Vietnam, dying in a place that they couldn't even pronounce the names of the cities. Yep. The nation, much like 2020, was in the throes of Marxism. There were riots all over the United States. I remember as a young boy going to the Washington Monument with my father, who at the time was a naval officer, being ridiculed and frightened as they were chanting. And in 1968 in California, when Chuck started, all these young people had checked out of the church. And they had, they had gone into drug use and psychedelic drug use and, and exploring Eastern religions. And they were burned out. Their heroes were all assassinated. Politically, they'd been promised hope and all they had was death. And they're disillusioned and they're on the shores of California, long hair and burned out lives. And Chuck and Kay look out there and they see this sea of humanity and their heart breaks. In 68 in California, when Chuck decides to reach them, he and Kay, Reagan was governor. California was conservative. We had the fifth largest GDP. It was a state of the future. I was born here in 64. My dad was born here, my grandfather. I mean, this was a state of the future. That's right. And Chuck begins to make the, the, the main thing, the plain thing, and the plain thing, the main thing. He teaches the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and they couldn't get enough of it, as though he, had, he was throwing gold coins and these hippies, you know, wearing Jesus sandals and long hair, and, and, and they, they just couldn't get enough of it. And then the launch of the Maranatha music, and you, you, you had, uh, uh, you know, kind of the vineyard and the spiritual side of it coming together with Lonnie Frisbee, and there was a move of God's spirit, it was charismatic, and the church explodes. But Chuck stayed away from politics because he saw that that entire generation had been burned out. Yep. And he was pre-trib, pre-millennial, and he taught verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and gave all of us, you and me both, right. through heritage, a good name, right. what we have today and what we possess. And I'm grateful for that. And, and Don too. Yep. But we're 52 years into this movement, and this movement's had 10,000% growth yes. since 68. At least. There's 1,800 Calvary chapels, plus or minus, around the world. Yep. And if you include CGN, there's, you know, that's, that's an offshoot. And, and include Vineyard. That's a big movement. And that's, tran- that's not transfer growth. That's conversion growth. People yep. coming to Christ. Right. Harvest Crusades, Somebody Loves You Crusades. Right. Most of the, of the 10 largest churches in America, at one point, two, two of the 10 were Calvary chapels. In California, some of the largest are Calvary chapels. South of Van Nuys, there's 350 Calvary chapels. It's a Calvary chapel sandbox. That's amazing. That being said, avoiding politics, all that accomplishment, 52 years, how has it affected the state in which this movement was birthed? Well, we're no longer the fifth largest GDP. We're now the sixth, maybe seventh. We have the highest gas tax, sales tax, income tax, corporate tax. We lead the nation in debt. Yep. We're the authors of no-fault divorce that Reagan signed into law in 1970 that decimated marriage across the country. The churches were silent. Yep. We are the authors of transgender bathroom bills, the most secular, secular, progressive sexual education curriculum in the country, let alone probably the world. You can't even speak of it in church. We lead the nation in homelessness. We lead the nation in poverty. You got to wear a kidney belt to drive on our roads. We're having rolling blackouts. We have the largest debt. You combine the next four largest states debt, it doesn't equal the debt of California. That's right. We're completely dominated by one political party. The churches have been shut and shuttered. Everyone's to meet outdoors and we just had 100 degree weather. It was hotter here in Newberry Park than it was in Phoenix, Arizona over the weekend. And the governor wants us to meet outside because it's healthier. And in Signal Hill. Oh, but it's healthier. Put a mask on too in that 100 degree temperature. Let's just watch people drop. 
And here's the one that gets me. California has aborted more children. We lead the nation in abortion. We've aborted more children than the entire population of Canada since 1973. That's right. And I ask you this question. Where's the power of the gospel? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <coughs> what have we done? We got people yeah. saved, but we have no future for our children. Yeah. Our kids and our grandkids, millennials can't afford to live here anymore. More people have left this state than came here during the Dust Bowl. Right. But we don't do politics. And you and I, now that we've stepped in and we've, we've had the audacity to have Charlie Kirk yeah. <laughs> speak in our church. Right. We, we have been ridiculed. Yep. We've been attacked. That's right. And yet you can put a black tile up and support Black Lives Matter. You can put books on your website that, that talk about th- this crazy theology that's out there. You can talk on that in a moment. And, and, and these are flagship churches and yet, what we're doing is somehow an anathema? Yeah. Run with it. Okay, so... That's a long th- intro. This is, this, is a, this is a difficult issue, okay? First of all, it comes back to a fundamental misappropriation of the scriptures, okay? L- let's just talk about the premillennial, uh, pre-tribulational view that we ascribe to, okay? First of all, the gravest error that's made in this view is that we have taken this view outside of the original intention that the authors of this information gave us. And, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, it, th- we, this really didn't show up until, you know, the late 1800s or so on and so forth. I got that. There are people that were talking about this far before that. And I understand exactly what you're saying. You're being very uh, conservative in the, in the estimates that you're bringing. Diplomatic. I, very diplomatic. One of the things that I say is this. I say, well, um, I, I have a very difficult time with anybody that says the Jesus is coming back at any moment view should be the reason why our involvement in political issues should be mitigated or attenuated. It's a, it's a, it's a horrible way of looking at things, okay? First of all, there was no greater person to speak up for the premillennial, pre-tribulational view than the Apostle Paul himself. Yet the Apostle Paul gave us remarkable examples of men who used the political infrastructure for the purposes of being able to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's an undebatable issue, okay? The other thing that people are forgetting is this. I'm going to make this statement, and I'll go back to it. But the very fact that we are pre-tribulational, pre-millennial, people who believe in eschatology. I preach Jesus is coming back at any moment. I connect these peace treaties that are going on. I'm giving evidence for what may be the groundwork for what we're going to see in Ezekiel 38 and 39. I talk about all this stuff. I put all these things together. But my contention, which I believe is the biblical contention, is that is the very motivation that should exist for us as Christians to be as active as we can in the political arena. Jesus said, occupy until I come. He said, occupy until I come. Jesus said some other things that a lot of people forget. Yeah. And they don't pay attention to, and they, they don't pay attention to it for several reasons. Number one, they're ignorant because their pastors fail to teach them, number one. Number two, oftentimes they just choose not to do it. And, and here's the first question I would ask to any anybody who would uh, condemn us with respect to the political issue, the first question that I would ask is this. Okay, so you say I have no business getting into politics as a pastor. Okay, great. Politics is an area that pastors don't touch. It's the fourth rail of Christianity. Okay, not the third. It's the fourth rail. Okay, so we don't touch it. Okay, now, what other areas in my life should I be compartmentalizing away from Christ? 
The, the whole reason why we as Christians are called to do what we do is to be a light to the world and a salt. If the salt has no flavor, what, is, what does the Bible say? Jesus even said it. You're no good. You're going to be trampled upon. Now, these are the common arguments that are thrown out for why we should be taking a stand. I'm going to start a mild dialogue here by giving you an illustration. I was on staff at Calvary I don't Chapel think we're going to have a dialogue. This is going to be a monologue. <laughs> okay, we'll make it a monologue. <laughs> I came on staff at Calvary Chapel Downey uh, many, many years ago. Oh my goodness, probably 26, 27 years ago. As a young pastor, just out of Bible college, you said I was 40 units a semester. I was crazy. I got my... Wait a minute. I got I, I to gotta jump in here. Yeah. Because they, they don't know this. I, and I was, I was blown away by yeah. it. You're a big boy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge boy. <laughs> I mean, I mean I, 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 I'd say that, you know, you got your own zip code. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a very, that's a very accurate statement. But at one point, you were applying for statehood. Yeah. <laughs> that's you, right. You, you've, lost, that's... you've lost 350 pounds. Yes. By the grace of God. By the grace of God. It's incredible. It is. And, and, and you're still going. Yeah. 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 It's amazing. Um, it's interesting. I'm that's actually, a miracle. Yeah. I'm actually less mobile now <laughs> than I was when I was seven because I have a nerve disease that's just dramatically yeah, yeah. affected my ability to be able to get around. But this is all by, all of this is by the grace of God. And, and I'll just say this. When I was on staff at Calvary Downey, we had a moment where we had found out we were in a staff meeting and um, our administrator had said, hey, Pastor Jeff, Man, this is like the third or fourth time they've been breaking into the church sanctuary and going into the tithe boxes that are posted all around the foyer and stealing the tithe money. So me and one of the administrators had an idea, and, uh, and they all laughed at us. But the idea was, let's take the microphone. Because, see, I'm a, I'm a technology guy, by the way. I have a background in computer forensics. I was the chief information officer of my local uh, municipal police department when we first started the church. So I have a very extensive background in all of that, networking, technology, security, have a ton of certifications in it. So I've always been the technology guy, built and designed the multi-million dollar network at Calvary Down. I, I, I love the way you and, do your live stream podcast. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, I just love them. Yeah, I, just, yeah, I just love to tech just savvy be real and, before the people, you know? So, um, so I say, let's take the wireless microphones that we have, these things that we got on our head, and let's plant them in the planters of the foyer. We'll turn on the loudspeaker in the sanctuary, turn off all the lights, and we'll just wait in the sanctuary until the guy comes and we'll get him. So there's like 15 of us camped out. They're all making fun of us. They're, they're you idiots. This will never work. You're so stupid. At least we get to eat chips, get the day off the next day, you bozos. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere in the microphones, we hear, and lo and behold, it's the guy finding an open door that he can get himself into. Mm. He gets in the foyer, and the guys come out, and the chase is on. Now, I'm not running. I'm the guy on the phone watching everybody because okay. I don't run. You're high, the, your yeah, eyes in the, the sky with the, the drone. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'm that guy. So I, I'm, I'm watching this, and you're, I'm you're like, the you're police. like Spider-Man's helper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I, I'm, I'm watching this. We call the police, whatever. The ghetto bird comes up. They set up a containment. We lose the guy. He never came back, to say the least. But here's the thing that I draw from this illustration. Jesus says, hey, my coming is going to be like a thief in the night. Now, he condemned the people that were not expecting it or were not ready for it. And yet the people who were, were very prepared for the moment that he came. Yeah. Now, what's the definition of being prepared for the moment that he came? Does it mean we're so focused on the gospel, which, by the way, we've made it a false gospel in many ways, and I'll, I can spend a lot of time talking about that, that we choose not to engage when ungodliness is going on in our nation? Let, let's, let's look at the Lord's Prayer. Our Father art in heaven, hallowed right. be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. The fundamental issue given to us, even with him modeling that prayer, is to always be expecting the imminent return of Christ. Lord, I cannot wait until you are here. I'm not going to seek to to make that happen. This is why we fundamentally disagree with the dominionist perspective, right? I think Judas perhaps was somebody who was trying to make that happen. And that sounds kind of crazy, but I mean, you think about this, trying to move things into motion and make things happen. That's a whole other story. You can listen to my teaching on that. I think that he wasn't the demon that everybody says he would, although there was a point in time where he was definitely satanically inspired to do what he did. I think he was trying to push things along to make things happen, to make this kingdom come along that he didn't understand. He was trying to push it forward. I'm almost certain of that. So we don't ascribe to that, but let me tell you where where the fundamental errors come into play. Let's examine what Jesus said would happen in the last days. We'll just talk about that for just a minute. He says, listen, the last days are going to be as the days of Noah. Now, what are the days of Noah? Being given I don't have to get into it. Yeah, the being, you know, it's a wicked, you're, lit, you're walking in wickedness. Everything is crazy. You're okay with it. It's no big deal. You're fundamentally unaware. There's a lot of that going on, okay? But then he says this. He says, they'll also be like the days of Lot. And then there's a statement that's given to us that says this. Remember Lot. We hear that exhortation as well. What does that mean? Why would he say the days of Noah and the days of Lot? Well, they mean two fundamentally different things. Let's take a moment, and this will be worthwhile. It'll take a few minutes, but it's worthwhile just examining. And this will get right back to why we're involved in the political arena. You see what I'm saying? Phonetic, (laughs) but it all ties in. Stay with him. Okay, follow me. This is an easy one, okay? It it really is. Hopefully, I'll make it easy, all right? Here it is. Look at the life of Lot. Lot was a man who was, uh, he lost his father at an early age, right. okay? His uncle Abraham adopted him as uh, kind of like a, a son, even though they're nephew-uncle right. uh, kind of relationship. As an adopted son, he gets bailed out quite a bit by Abraham, yep. right? At one point, Lot's people and Abraham's people get into a big old skedaddle. You go left, and, I'll go yeah, right, right, you go and, right, I'll yeah, go left. And Abraham says, wherever you want to go, yeah. I'll go. He doesn't do what he's patriarchally obligated to do. He chooses whatever, whatever he wants. He takes what's best for him. Lot says, I'm going to go towards the easy land. Yeah, because you, you, you can take Lot out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt, that's, Egypt out of Lot. That's exactly right. So Lot then, the Bible says, pitches his tent towards Sodom. Now, you got to be careful how you say that because that one preacher. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got exactly what you're saying, right? I got exactly what you're saying. But this is what happens. He sets his heart towards the easy path. It's not, that he set, it's not that he set his heart towards evil. The Bible says he was a righteous man. He found the least common denominator. He found the least common denominator, found the path, of, the path of least resistance, which is why guys right now don't want to deal with politics. They're looking for the path of least resistance. Yep. Okay? And he hangs out there. Yep. Then we see the progression. Okay? So follow me with this. He ends up dwelling in Sodom. Yeah, it's, it's standing, sitting. Right, standing, sitting. He dwells Walk, in Sodom. Uh, walking, standing, sitting. That's right. Then... The Bible tells us in, in Genesis 19, he's at the gate. Okay, now, he, now this is fundamental. We've got to understand this. He's at the gate acting as a judge of a city that absolutely hates God. Yep. They have no, and quite frankly, they hate him. They have no respect for him at all. Let me, let me interject this. Yes. Because people will dismiss Lot, and this is cool to me. Yep. His name is in the New Testament. Oh, that's right. 
and, and I think three times, it says righteous Lot who tormented his righteous soul by giving his eyes and his ears audience to the things of this world. Imagine your name being in the New Testament and the word righteous being connected to your name. That's right. And you're like, wait, righteous Lot? And, and righteous is fundamental here. Yeah. And, and, and God delivers him. And the stuff he did was vile. Yes. Go for yes. it. Yes. So let's take this a step further because all the righteous pastors in the ministry who are saying we have no, obligated, no obligation to be involved in politics need to listen. Remember Lot. Lot is at the gate now. Okay. This is so good. These two angels that come in. Mm-hmm. Okay. Lot somehow, I, magically, I don't know what it is. It's a spirit of God. What I believe he discerns right away, they're angels. Yeah. He says, come on in. I'm going to protect you. There's a big patriarchal thing going on. And there's, I don't have the time to talk about why he was meeting his patriarchal obligations with respect to hospitality. That's a whole other issue. And the whole aspect with unleavened bread. Yeah, the, the unleavened like, bread. We, there's a lot we, that we could spend on that. Yeah. Um, some of the subtleties, by the way, about that I'm going to get into that most people never talk about. Okay. So he, he, bring, he finally convinces them to come in the house. They come in the house. There's a subtlety. Now, I'm from the Middle East, so I understand how this works. There's a subtlety most people will never catch. The Bible tells us that Lot himself was the one that prepared the food, not his wife. Right. This is unacceptable in, in our culture. She's the one who turned back because yeah. she saw Nordstrom yes. burning. Yeah, so we're going we're gonna to talk yeah. about this in a minute. <laughs> she was so frustrated with her husband for whatever reason that at this moment she chose not to do what she was patriarchally obligated to Ma- do. Matriarchal. Yeah, patriarchal. I got tongue up. She, she had an obligation to do this, right. okay? She didn't for whatever reason. Then you have a situation where these homosexual men come with unnatural affection, which by the way, if anybody tells you that the sin of Sodom was a lack of hospitality, I, it's I, heresy, I, I, don't yeah, ever that, listen to that. That's garbage. a secular progressive. Absolutely yeah. garbage. garbage. How, do you, how do you get that it's out of It's designed that? to further the LGBT community. Yeah, yeah, I, got, I, got point, okay. I got it. So um, Lot then, his solution, listen to how twisted this is. His solution is he walks outside, pushes the door back and says, have my daughters. You can do whatever they want. They're virgins. You can do whatever they want. It's vile. Yeah. So they tell him, who are you? You're the guy that pretends to be a judge sitting at the gate. Are you going to tell us what to do? Like, what are you talking? We want, we want those men. Now I want to stop and just say something really quickly, just very, very quickly before I move on to the other thing. For those of you guys that say you're not messing with politics, and you are supporting the stand that someone like Newsom is making right now in California or any of these other governors. Or you're posting just, a, a black tile. All right, or a black tile. <clears throat> you are just like Lot, who thinks for some crazy sociological, weird association you're making. I should say sociopathological. I, that's what I should say. Don't. I'm not going to say that. I don't want to be harsh. I don't want to be. But what I'm saying is for whatever reason, you think you're respected by the world. Can I just tell you something? You're not. They're never going to respect you. If you represent Christ, you're, the a world lie, is... A lie is never tolerant yeah, of the, the truth. It's, it's never, ever <clears throat> going to be the case. But you think you're being a light because you're getting along with everybody. And so because you're getting along with everybody, then you must be making a difference. Peace they is, just see you as weak. Peace is not the absence of conflict. That's correct. It's absolutely <clears throat> correct. So then this is what happens with Lot. So they leave... The angels say, we got to go, right? Because there's not a lot of righteous people here. The, the Bible <laughs> says he lingered. Yeah. He didn't want to. The angels had to grab, grab him. him and take him out of the city. Then he even contends with the angels and say, look, I want to be in the small city, right? 
this is a, a safer way to go, so on and so forth. And they concede to it, but they say, look, you've got to get out of here because we can't judge a city unless you're out of here. So by the way, it's a beautiful type of God sparing his children from judgment that he executes towards the, towards the unrighteous world. That's a whole other side load. There's so much to teach there, but we leave that alone. He takes them out, and then we get another story that a lot of people blow past. They don't think about it. He brings himself into obscurity. His wife looks back. She becomes a pillar of salt. You heard what I said. She yeah, looked, yeah, yeah. The, the, Nordstrom's, the, was, from, the, no, Nordstrom. the Nordstrom's was burning. Yeah, She's right. like, oh. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. she dies. Yeah. She's gone. Okay. And this, this next part in the cave is, is trippy. Yeah. How can this so, guy have righteous next to his name? But go ahead. It, he's in the cave. The daughters say, the oldest daughter says, hey, we don't have anybody to continue to carry on our there's, line. There's not going to be a lineage. Yeah. Right. There's not going to be a lineage. By the way. He was told by the angels, hey, you have anybody around here that's close to you? You need to warn them to leave right now. He doesn't tell his immediate family. He only tells his son-in-laws. And they, they couldn't believe. And they think he's like, a joke. Yeah, because he had never lived yeah. his life in such a way. They're, they're going, what, they where did this come from? They think he's a joke. Yeah. They think this is ridiculous. Yep. If you're being put on trial for being a yeah. Christian, is there evidence to convict you? Correct. And, you and by know. the way, mind you, I'm going to keep repeating this. The Bible called him a righteous man. God spared him because he was righteous. Okay. This thing happens in the cave. Now the girls say, hey, there's nobody else to propagate our bloodline. We're not going to meet any men. This is a bad situation. They're so damaged by the lack of leadership of their father that they say, let's get him drunk. We'll have sex with him. And then we'll get him pregnant and everything will be okay. The Bible says that Lot got so drunk at the direction of their daughters, in essence, that he had no idea that he had a sexual relationship with either of them, that he, that he had yeah. a sexual experience, a sexual and, encounter. He woke up <clears throat> completely unaware of what he did. And it's not like they forced him to drink. Right, correct, correct. And, and that's what's trippy, because right. here he is still righteous. Right. Keep going. So, so, he gets preg- so they get pregnant. The girls get pregnant. Right. And, and, then, and, the, and the two tribes that come right. are both enemies yeah, of the God's Moabites people. And Moabites and the Ammonites. And Ammonites. Right. All gone. Now, we don't hear about Lot anymore until later on. We hear, well, we hear about Lot a few other times, but... And we talked about those times. But then we get the exhortation. The last days will be as the days of Lot. And then we get the exhortation to remember Lot. Everybody says that the last days are as the days of Lot is a direct repudiation to the ungodliness of the, the, of the nations. Yeah. It's not. It, it's of the church. It's a repudiation of specifically the church leaders. Yep. I believe so. Yeah. Because Lot was so enamored by his desire to be integrated into the culture and his desire to be relevant and his desire to fit in and his desire, here's a key word, to be comfortable. In Sodom and Gomorrah. Right, that he destroyed his family as a result. Yeah. And very likely the nation that was destroyed was perhaps the side effect of a man choosing to live in the city, judge in the city, and yet not bring any consciousness of God into the city. Let's add this too. A man that had his get out of hell free card. That's right. But chose, and here's, here's the thing. Righteous Lot tormented his righteous soul by giving his eyes and his ears audience to the things of this world. And, and the Bible says that we are, are vessels. That's right. And, and you remember... Um, in Daniel, when they called for the vessels that they had stolen, taken yes, from the right. temple. That's right. And the king calls in for the vessels and he begins to party with them. And they're drinking wine out of them, mm-hmm. praising the gods of gold and silver. And they're drinking out of these holy vessels. And the holy vessels were just a bunch of beat up pots and pans. Right. But they were sanctified, set apart for God, right. just like you and I are. Mm-hmm. And they're partying with these holy vessels. 
The vessels still remained holy, but everyone who violated them ended up dead. That's right. So as a Christian, you can go to a party and have alcohol poured into you as a holy vessel. Right. And people can fondle and play with the holy vessels. But you're there and everyone that's involved in that, you're, there's no testimony. You're, they're all dead. That's absolutely right. And, and that's why the Lord wants us as vessels to be set apart. Yep. And, and to be used for his glory. Because the entire room, these vessels were silent. These were vessels in the temple that didn't speak. That's right. You and I speak. How will they know unless someone tells them? Right. Look, think that's, about that's this. That's my two cents worth. Think about this. Why in the world would the Apostle Paul and John and several other people go out of their way to tell us about everything that was going to go on in the last days if it meant that we were supposed to do nothing with it? The last days of the last days, what's going to happen is going to happen. Yeah. Why in the, if, it's, it's if, inevitable, if it's inevitable... Yeah, you're just what? polishing brass on the Titanic. Listen, knowing that our time is running out should be the very motivator for us taking a stand in these things. I, I'm of the persuasion, I really am, I'm of the persuasion that my generation is going to see the rapture. Now, I could be wrong about that. Look, truth be told, there's every generation prior to me has said that. It's Ex- looking... Explain to everybody what the rapture is, because there's a lot of folks okay. viewing yeah, that have no clue true. what you're talking that's about. They're, they're, it's creepy to them. Yeah, so it is a kind it, of a creepy thought. It is, yeah. it is. But the rapture is, in essence, Christ coming back for his church. People that are walking with him, people, people that, have, that have said, Christ, come into my life. There's a day that's going to come where he is going to take us up with him into heaven. And by the way, for everybody that's scared of the rapture, let me just say this. First, I'll make one shameless plug. Go to my site, uh, calvarychapelsignalhill.com. Go to my inspired Calvarychapelsignalhill.com. Slow down. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, sorry. I know. I have that problem. Um, go to my series called In Spirit and in Truth. And go to my, actually, I'm sorry, that's wrong. That's what happens when I speak so fast. It's in my What About series, and look up the Bible study, What About the Rapture? And I'm going to summarize why the rapture is so cool, right? I'm not scared of dying. I don't think you're scared of dying. I don't think any of us are scared of dying, right? We're not scared of dying. We don't die. We just fall asleep. But can I just tell you, I am kind of nervous about how I'm going to die. You know know what I'm talking about? Like, I... I always kind of think like, man, I just hope that I die easy. Like I, I die in my sleep or I get in a bad car accident that it's, ah, oh, it's a wrap and I'm in heaven. What, I what, mean, wait, 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 what's the joke? I, uh, when I die, I want to die like my grandfather in his sleep, not like all the people who were in the backseat of his car when he was driving. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's the way I want to die. Yeah. Now that's how, well, James, that's kind of morbid, right? But here's the beautiful part about the rapture. The beautiful part about the rapture is you don't experience that part. <laughs> I mean, that's what I tell people. It's like you don't experience any of that fear. It just happens. You get taken away. Let me, let me also, because we have a number of folks that, that tune in. And they tune in for a, a whole host of reasons. Right. And, and we have some, a lot of folks that aren't, aren't followers of the Lord. Yeah, and I appreciate but, you elaborating on this. Yeah, yeah. but I, and, and I, uh, because... I'll explain how God has developed our, our, our gathering of folks. Because we have something in common. We love the, the country. We love the Lord, most of us. Some of them don't know him, but they're coming to know him. Right. But we've all been drawn by liberty. That's right. Which is God's idea, not man's. Yep. That being said, the, there's th- different denominations that have different views of eschatology. And we defend ours... And, and this is where we kind of get tripped up, but we defend ours by saying everywhere in scripture before mm-hmm. God places judgment, he always removes a righteous. Yeah. Noah, right? 
Lot. We can go down the list. Um, but your parents are from Egypt. Yeah. And this is a really tough eschatology to sell in the 1040 window, longitude and latitude, where 90% of the Muslim world exists. Yeah. Because yep. they're pretty convinced they're yep. going through the tribulation. And when you watch these Coptic Egyptians being marched out to the Mediterranean Sea and being beheaded yep. by ISIS, yep. I kind of think that would be a, a very tribulating time. Yeah, sure, sure. It's a good point. Um, but it goes back to biblical education, and it goes back to what you're taught, and it goes back to how— I'm just saying. We, right. don't, we don't have to explain it, but you, yeah. you get— Right. And well, 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 I'm going somewhere with this. I, I'll, tell you where I'm going. Yeah. I'll tell you where I'm going with this. You're always going is, somewhere with no, it. No, but it is, important. <laughs> it is an important thing to bring out, right? Yeah, yeah. Because this goes right back to the politic issue. This goes back to the, to the issue of politics. My grandmother, right? So, so my grandfather was very, very heavily involved in the local politics of the town in the sense of you'd have— Hatfield and McCoy type families that were Muslims. You had to bring that in. That would you? go kill. Yeah, that would go kill each other. Yeah. Right. They would. They would kill each other in the streets. Yeah. And my grandfather, they would go to my grandfather's house, put all their rifles outside of my grandfather's he's, house, and sit down and have a five-hour peace summit. Yeah. He's the peacemaker. Right. And he would be the peacemaker. Yeah. Blessed. When my dad was in Egypt with all of my uncles and aunts in 1967 during the war with Israel, my grandma would not allow them to listen to Egyptian radio said they were lying and it was a political lie and made them listen to the radio, the Israeli radio. Wouldn't let, her listen, wouldn't let them listen to the Egyptian radio. It, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating insight with the Muslim Brotherhood, Hosni Mubarak, Anwar Sadat. Anwar Sadat was witnessed to by a Christian family. Mm -hmm. He was the first one to bring peace when he got with Menachem Begum. Yeah. I mean, it, it, these are people that are contending to push back the, what we see, what, what, what many fall prey to in the pre-trib, pre-millennial mindset is, oh, it's inevitable. But here you have people witnessing to Anwar Sadat who has an instrumental role in bringing, you know, Menachem Begin, they come, they, a peace treaty. The only thing really Carter ever accomplished as, as president that's of great significance that he's remembered for. Uh, and, and then, you know, assassination and then Hosni Mubarak and then the Muslim Brotherhood. And then Egypt turns from being an entity of positive movement in yeah. the Middle East to being a hotbed of destruction. We watched it. And we, we watched watch in it. Iran where they, they remove the Shah of Iran and they, they replace him with a, 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 an illiterate Muslim cleric, mm -hmm. Ayatollah Khomeini. Yeah. And, and, and what was once the, the solidifying entity, they, actually Iran lent their jets by request of Nixon because Israeli jets had been destroyed. Right. They sent their pilots to Iran and were able to contend with the invasion right. in, in, in the Yom Kippur War. Right. And then when another president came in, they targeted the Shah, pulled him. Brought, and now we're dealing with Iran that used to be an ally and is now responsible for just destruction. Right. Yeah. I mean, all these things. But, but as pre-trib, pre-millennial pastors that just do the gospel, we, we stand back and go, see? The world, the, 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 everything we've prophesied is happening. But it's an error. It's an it's, error because we're not, error. We're, we're acting like Lot. It's a serious error. It's a, it's, and, and there's many more reasons why it's a serious error, okay? Besides the fact that the uh, Jesus is coming soon understanding that we all have has been taught to us by the Apostle Paul and everybody else. That is directly designed to make sure that we are putting our everything into what we're facing in front of us right now. 